You're listening to Masters of Digital Transformation, brought to you by AIM10X and hosted by Tony Salzana. Welcome to the Masters of Digital Transformation. I'm your host, Tony Saldana. In every episode, we bring you industry war stories with insights into some of the top challenges around digital transformation, especially in planning. And our goal, of course, is, as always, to equip you with the best practice information to keep you ahead of competition. Happy New Year. I'm sure we've been looking forward to putting 2020 behind us. And I really wish that the new year brings you personal and professional happiness. And speaking of happiness, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome my guest today, Pat Merzen, former director of Global Supply Excellence and Caterpillar. And I'm also very excited to welcome back to the show, Raghav Ranganathan, SVP for Strategy and Operations at O9 Solutions. You will recall that Raghav joined us on our second episode of the series alongside Dr. Das, das Gupta as we discussed the Amazon model. And it's great to have him back with us. So before I do anything else, uh, welcome Pat and Raghav. Thank you very much, Tony. Great introduction and happy new year to you too and all the listeners. Happy to be here. Awesome. Thanks, Tony. Good to be back. Thank you, Raghav. And Pat, I'm going to start with you. Transformation has been the focus of Pat's career over 30 plus years as he led supply excellence and transformation projects at big companies such as Praxair, now Linder, EDS, which is now HP and Honeywell. And it's really great to have you with us today, Pat, to share with us a little bit of your experience in this area. So I'm going to just go ahead and jump in. And as always, I love to hear more about you as the person. I consider you to be a natural born transformer. As you also said, you prefer change over staying still and practice over theory. And that's a man after my own heart. And I'm sure you were born with some of these skills, but of course you learned a lot along the way. So take us through your life experiences as you got from where you started to where you are here. First of all, thank you very much for those kind words. Yes, I'm a natural born transformer. So I was transformation before transformation is cool to paraphrase. But I started my life very much focused on project transformation. So I was an engineer by training. When I came out of school, my goal was always to make things better, always improve processes. I started in the physical world and then moved to the business world, the digital world, the financial world. And then finally in my career, I put those all together and said, it's really all around large global systems. All of those are in play, yeah. money, data, people, and things. And if you really think about those four components or elements of a system, if you can manage those, if you understand them, number one, it's great. And then if you can come back with some business purpose or some unique intent, make it better. Take it from what it is to making it somewhat better or transformatively better. So I did that. That was everything in my career. Like I said, 30 plus years. It has come to 40 years now as I've sat through change after change. My last stop was Caterpillar and we yeah. were focused on transforming their supply network. Mm. But that was about the fourth round for me on doing supply management, supply network and supply chain transformations. So it's been an opportunity to really look at the world through the future eyes and bringing us to that. Pretty amazing. And thank you for sharing. And Raghav, speaking of experiences still, you work with a lot of clients and you and I have 
talked a lot about what makes some clients and leaders more successful than others. And among them is the skill of creating renewed vigor and excitement within a transformation. Good leaders do that naturally. They're not just about driving change, but also creating excitement. So share with us what you think good change leaders do and what it takes to create that excitement. Thanks, Tony. It's a great question. And I'll actually begin with a little bit of a funny story in terms of reacting to the conditions that we have today. Uh I'm personally in the midst of a move between homes and considering the current pandemic and the opportunity of proximity that I have between my old and new homes, I actually chose to move twice. So when you're saying renewing vigor, the way we go about it here for my move with our family here is move all of the heavy stuff first Uh and then have the movers come and move all of the easy stuff later. (laughs) That's all about trying to figure out how you make the most of the market conditions that you have and also the opportunities that you have available considering your lead times that we have. So my lead time is 45 minutes between old and new. So it made sense to do this twice. But coming to your um, question here, what is it that leaders can do with regard to keeping the interest, keeping the motivation, keeping the vigor through a transformation? Now, everybody who starts a project wants to say that it is a transformation. Whether it's a transformation or not is something that can be semantic, but everyone starts a project with the intention to do dramatic transformation. Now, depending on where the organization is, depending on how the organization is growing, the market that the organization is playing in, as well as the leaders who are choosing to embark on this journey, you have a spectrum, if you will, of change that can be implemented. What we've seen in my experience here at 09 and at I2 before that, is leaders often need to talk of transformation that is likely going to be a multi-stage, multi-phase program Uh to realize everything that is being discussed at the outset of the transformation. Uh But what's also very important, and this is a, a typical iterative delivery, is what is it that you can actually deliver uh-huh. in a reasonably small period of time to make sure that you're actually showing results uh-huh. to continue to have management backing across uh-huh. the peers of the sponsors as well as upwards in the organization to allow you to go through the journey. Uh-huh. Now, some of the customers we've worked with, we began our journey in certain parts of the planning ecosystem. And on success, we either rolled out that capability across other regions, other business units, Uh or tried to work with them to expand planning capabilities, if you will, to other allied areas. So you start in supply, grow into distribution, perhaps start in demand, grow into supply. Given how global companies are, you start in one part of the world and then you grow elsewhere as well. So- And you establish uh, success. First and and measurable that. success indeed, yes. where you are able to essentially say that, hey, the end state vision is to grow in maturity across the entire organization with reduced lead times, better planning velocity and so on. But you want to be able to come back and say that, hey, in six months, I've been able to move the needle in a measurable way so mm-hmm. that we can keep going. That's yeah. often the most important thing where you pitch a long term vision but you ultimately deliver the first milestone in a manner that can be celebrated to make sure you can keep going forward. So Mm -hmm. measurable success 
in short order is often yeah. the most important thing to keep the vigor going yeah now you got it absolutely and that always works there's, there's nothing like success breeding success and essentially just to change gears a little bit pat speaking of successes and growing successes i want to get back to you and o9 i believe your experience with o9 and sanjeev in particular goes back a while and in the past when you and i spoke you talked about network effect and what is it about o9 and the network effect that makes it different from all of the other solutions that exist out there. You've talked about how a network is not a chain and so on and so forth. So for our listeners, I, I really want you to elaborate about why network effects are so important. So Tony, I think that's a great point. And I want to reinforce what Raghav said is that mm -hmm. you really do need to have staged success, right? Mm -hmm. So that there is actually an approach to the larger problem in small subsets. Yeah. Even if you have a grand vision, it's yeah. important to be able to take it into pieces. And the concept of a network is something that helps one understand that. And you've heard me say that there is no such thing as a chain. Yeah. If you look at any node that it has supply and demand on it, it branches out immediately, both yeah. directions. And yeah. then as soon as you hit the next node, it branches out each way both ways in terms of demand and supply on those nodes. So it immediately and, and widens um, itself as a network. Yeah, sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt you, but as you were talking, something struck me, which is we keep talking about supply chain and, and that itself is a misnomer because there's no such thing as supply chain. It's a supply network, isn't it? It is, it's actually a value network. Now that's a bridge too far. So as soon as we say that, we start to lose people who are very proud of being in the supply chain mm -hmm. and we can get them to think about it as a supply network, but that would be the demand point going back and fanning out as nodes and links. Mm -hmm. And very much in a concept of a graph data model, mm -hmm. which is the underlying way things link themselves up, things flow from one point to another point. And as you look at the points that keep expanding out, going in either direction, it's either the supply or the demand. Yeah. It says, hey, I've got a unit I produce is consumed by multiple of my clients who yeah. are consumed by multiple of their clients. And it's that fanning notion of nodes and links that say it is a network, whether we call it that or not. So if you look backwards from the demand, it's mm. the supply network. If you mm. look forwards from the production, it's the demand network. Mm -hmm. In its entirety, that makes up the value network. And we may not wanna call it that, we may not have a notion of it, and it may be a little disturbing, but that network is always self-wiring. Mm -hmm. Its signals are going every day to make sure that if there's a shortage of something, all of a sudden those signals are, are rippling through the node and links to say, hey, I'm in trouble do something, either yeah. refill or get me an alternative, or I'm abandoning ship and I'm just going to stop consuming this. I can't do anything. The COVID-19 has taught us this. The number of stockouts on shelves is unbelievable. And watch what happens when you don't have something, you keep living, you keep moving, the business keeps going. And when the demand stops, it looks like a freight train trying to stop in a yeah. short period of time. It just jams up, yeah. but things rewire. You could think about the amount of food eaten on the planet has not changed. The That's number true. of meals consumed have not changed, but where the consumption is taking place did. So all of a sudden, all the network wiring to get to uh, places people would go for meetings or go for sporting events or go for entertainment, all of those areas no longer are the destination. 
but the people are someplace else. They yeah. still need to be fed. Yeah. There was not really a change in the demand for food, but the network fundamentally rewired itself and had to. So we watched what happens is that those signals ripple through a network that will rewire itself. So the concept of a network is yeah. crucial to managing and mastering the future, Tony. There is no chain. With this insight, which is there's no real chain, but a network, what would supply network managers do differently? Ah, so that's where 09 comes into play. That's mm -hmm. where the whole relationship between the concept that says if you've got a chain, then an MRP, a production management system at a plant, an MRP, and typical demand forecasting and mm -hmm. supply forecasting can work because you're dealing basically with flow in and out of a single node or a set of nodes that you have authority over. Yeah. But once you realize you don't have authority and that the network will rewire itself, you need to be able to treat it as a network that says, okay, it's an interconnected network of semi-autonomous nodes. And then the nodes are interconnected by semi-autonomous distribution links. So you have these things that are operating on their own. The trucks have to manage where the trucks go. The warehouses have to manage themselves. Mm -hmm. The factories manage themselves. So you can't actually manage them with local decisions. They each mm -hmm. have their own decisions. How do you understand it and influence it? Mm -hmm. If you go back to where Sanjeev and Shakri began I2 decades ago, they understood the notion of multi-tier supply chains. They said, hey, something that goes on in one tier affects the other tiers, whether it's the demand side or the supply side. Now, add the notion of a network, of the interconnections that are not solid, that they can rewire and one can go out at any time. So how does it repair itself? It's this semi-autonomous, collectively intelligent network. You must get the data on those nodes. You must understand the decisions they make and the data they're dealing with. Yeah. And then once you have that, you can now start to look at it for insights and better decisions. Yeah. I had not seen a product on the market that was custom built before I met with Sanjeev Sidhu at a conference back in the mid-teens. Mm. He told me about 09 and the graph data model underneath it. Mm -hmm. The graph data model is exactly what a network right. uh, needs to be interpreted. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the linkage. Yeah, no, that's absolutely spot on. And you mentioned data, which I'm going to get your thoughts on, Raghav. There are a lot of pitfalls in actually implementing planning systems. One of those is people start with the planning project, and then they find out that their data is poor. And then they get sidetracked and the whole transformation goes south. But you and I know that you really need to fix the data along with the process rather than assume that you have to do that first before you get to the transformation. So there is something that's missing in these transformation projects about management education. What would your advice be based on having worked these implementations with several clients? What's missing? So... There's always this thought process that exists sometimes that, hey, you need to design and quote unquote, fix your business process mm. and associated organization structures, make sure that your data is all right and ready. And then you can do a planning implementation that is going to go super easily and smoothly. Now, in general, business processes and data, if you view them in isolation without the planning project itself, mm. you end up defining aspirational processes and aspirational data structures uh -huh. that in turn 
will end up feeding a planning implementation that will go through fits and starts with assumptions that were pre-made. I find that uh, while sometimes the journeys tend to be painful, the most effective way to actually rationalize, clean, and improve data is actually through a planning implementation in the uh -huh. first place. Uh -huh. Because that's when you're actually getting planners, users, champions, mid-managers, and sponsors to actually pay attention to how data is actually going to be used for decisions. And that's when you actually figure out what the data really should be, as opposed to pre-working the data, if you will. Uh -huh. Now, what can you do to make the journey less painful? How can you make sure that you have a conversation with management to make sure that management understands the stamina needed to go through this implementation right. of planning, which is going to have process implications, data implications, and so on, is ultimately back to the early conversation saying, I have a 12-month roadmap or 18-month roadmap mm. of which in three months, this is going to be my first outcome, mm. small step a crawl step, if you will, in the crawl, walk, run journey. And in the process, we are going to do all of this legwork with regard to data, with regard to some process, but you're actually going to see a measurable outcome. Mm -hmm. So it's inevitable that you will go through the transformation of people, process, and technology and associated data with it. Mm -hmm. But rather than trying to pre-wire too much of that, it's great to actually go in while understanding that some of these indeed need to be concurrent and the management education is to make sure that the stamina is there to understand that steps will be taken over time with measurable outcomes and focus very carefully on making sure that those measurable outcomes are actually delivered. So yeah. that's how I feel the journey becomes easier to go through and make sure that the management is ready to have the stamina to go through this transformation, which might take more than one release. That's a fundamentally different paradigm, isn't it? Which is you start with assuming that everything's perfect, an aspirational static world of data and processes, and then you find out that it's not, and then you get bogged down and all flustered. And the other is use the software implementation as a way to flush out issues on process and data. And then if you do that, then of course, you're not really bothered because you plan for it and, and that becomes part of the paradigm. That's what we keep talking about, which is agility and, and iteration. But that framework, that paradigm, Raghav, I, I find absolutely fantastic. And talking about frameworks, to switch back to you, Pat, your frameworks on accountability and authority, whether it's goal setting and sphere of control and money and timing, have really helped a lot of practitioners to be successful on transformation. What I'd like you to do is to provide us some examples of where it has worked and why that works. Tony, that's a great question. And it really does belie the concept of success or failure in your project or transformation. And I know that's near and dear to your heart. <laughs> yes. Because you are looking at enterprise level success and enterprise level failure. And the book that you've recently published is excellent as you look at the grand scheme of a transformation. Back to Raghav's opening conversation is it is a large scale transformation. It's not changing what you do or how you do it. It's changing what you are. It's mm. fundamentally changing the model by which you operate. And so you have to say, what's the scale of the transformation I'm trying to achieve? Mm. How much mm. of functionality do I change? And that's scope. Scale then is how much of the network needs to change. And now that is the question that you put on accountability and authority. 
that says, if you've tried to bite off a large enterprise scale, there's only one individual and a group that can really agree to do that. And that's the chairman, the CXO group and the board. So if the scale of your transformation is at that level of the enterprise, then the authority has to come from those people who are accountable for delivering that change or value are those people and said, okay, they clearly have the accountability. They have the authority to spend. They have the authority over people and they have the accountability to the owners of the company to deliver. So that's easy to tie. It's hard to do because now you're talking about grand scale change on the largest part of the entity itself. Most of us, most people listening to this do not have that authority. They're not accountable for that level of change. So they are usually working in a factory, in a product group, maybe in a demand or a market. They may or may not have the authority, but they're accountable. People are looking to them for success. So that's the definition of accountability. So if you and your management team believe you're accountable, then you have to ask, are you also in possession of the authority to change what you're doing. Are you an advisor just coming up with an idea? Mm. So maybe you just want to prove something or are you accountable for implementation that you're not successful with an idea alone. You really need to implement and then put that into production or operation. There's a framework that is conveniently broken into three areas. You can say, mm-hmm. am I in the experiment and discover mode mm-hmm. where I'm trying to prove something mm-hmm. where the outcome is actually a successful technical demonstration, or am I in the come up with the design ready for a design and deploy approval? Yeah. This is now I've got a larger project. I believe it's either been proven by myself or others in the area, yeah. or am I just trying to make something better? I'm already running it. I want to make it better. Neat part of that is you could prove it quickly. There's a risk aversion to that too, though, because you don't want to disturb the place money is made in an organization, Mm. or maybe there's safety or security issues too. So it's important to define what am I trying to achieve against some larger vision, maybe, but Mm. put it into a bite-sized piece where I know what success is. Mm. It's a technical proof Mm. or business concept that says, hey, if this works, I've got to sale the CFO or the chief product leaders or say, yes, this is a go. So my success is confirming that it works in business, not technical success. That's how I define scope, scale, authority, and accountability. And you can make a success a failure or a failure a success just by working that problem set. I I like this framework, Pat. The mistake most organizations make in authority versus accountability is that they do a racy chart, right? Who's responsible, accountable, so on and so forth. But what they miss is what you were just talking about, which is the context. What stage are you? Are you in the experimentation stage? Are you in the development? Are you in the rollout? And your responsibilities and your accountability change with time. And so the context is what's important. And this is one of the reasons why I think that particular framework is just so appealing. And just building upon that, is also the construct that Raghav, you keep talking about, which is there are two different but related ideas that drive success in execution of planning systems. Firstly is the concept of transformation runway. And the second is the construct of leadership motivation. So based on your experience, I I want you to expound on these constructs of transformation runway and leadership motivation? So successful transformation programs 
often include significant career growth for mm-hmm. those who've driven the transformation. Mm-hmm. So it's for the various folks at the levels through the program that executes the transformation. It's typically a headline, if you will, for a particular leader or sponsor's accomplishments at the end of the year. In terms of the runway or the tenure, in general, you would have all leaders looking to always be improving on what it is that they are doing. That is a constant. All leaders want to do better. But where the nuance comes in is the leader in a new role? Is the leader looking to go to a bigger role? Or is the leader in the midst of executing four other transformations she or he started two years ago? It may be hard to get the mind space and the motivation, if you will, to do something new. How much of a step somebody wants to take is determined on the basis of where they are in their journey of leadership in that role. I'll round this out by also saying that even if leaders are in the midst of other programs that seem to be taking up a lot of time, it doesn't mean that dramatic transformation cannot be sparked through small successes that are proven. Because leaders are also very good at discovering and identifying and nurturing that which gives them high ROI. So if you have a program that promises high ROI, you will see leaders who will pivot. Takes a little bit more effort, but still possible. This is stuff that comes with experience. Understanding the motivations of your own leadership. Understanding how to react differently based on that. Understanding how to bring about change successfully so you don't get caught in some dilemma where you're counting on your project to be the first priority. And then six months later, the leadership's gone. And now you're not even sure whether you're priority number two or three or 10 for the new leader. And this only comes with experience. And Pat, I want to go back to understanding context of where you are in the framework of are you innovating? Are you developing? Are you scaling? We all know that a majority of all digital transformations fail. The industry number is 70 which is a horrible number. But we also know that even within that, really 90% of those fail at the scaling stage, not the inception or, or ideation, but really in scaling in the sense that what works in the labs and what works in real life operations are very different. So how can people protect themselves by understanding where they are in that particular map? Excellent question, Tony. And so I believe that back to scope and scale, accountability and authority, there's one more factor and Raghav has just touched on it in a big way. And that's about the local authority, the organizational accountability inside of an entity. We, We started by saying it's a network of all of these nodes and flows and information. So physical nodes, physical flows, information, authority, money. So all of a sudden you're touching a lot of power centers in a company and they're accountable for different things. So oftentimes you have a transformer, a champion inside of an enterprise has the belief that they're doing what's absolutely right for the enterprise, but it interferes with others accountability or authority. And that's where the risk comes. It says you can be technically successful, but it has to be, let's say adopted, adapted, or embraced by the enterprise for it to be successful. And you have a lot of different groups, power structure, personal, professional goals, organizational accountability. And so it sounds like this is a conundrum that can't be solved, but it can. 
So this is why we want to talk about applied transformation. How do you get it in? So I'll give you an example. In one of the organizations in which I was working, I was accountable for improving supplier performance. Mm -hmm. So that's not supply chain, that's not planning, Mm -hmm. but it was key to the problems and challenges we had on being able to make and keep promises, anyone note in the network. So the goal was to take that choice, that thing that said, okay, suppliers perform based on a single measure on-time delivery or receipt, depending on how you want to view it. Did it leave their dock at the right time if I'm accountable for transportation? Or did it arrive to me at that right time? Quantity, quality. You say, okay, that's far away from planning, but it's crucial to it. How do we improve supplier performance? It was in the low 70s, 80s, as opposed to 99, 98, 95 and above. One thing we didn't know, we had how many orders were placed on which you would be measured. So you think about the denominator said, okay, on-time performance, I need to know how many orders are firm today. So the question I gave my team was, tell me how many orders went firm today? Are there a thousand, 10,000, a hundred thousand, a million, but there are discrete orders that went firm today. So once we found the source of that data, we collected that and put that in one place and said, okay, those are the firm orders. Now, how many are collaborated? Mm. So I start with that paradigm that said, I had the authority for performance. So once I have that, I say, okay, they're either the original order stands and they're either on or not on time. They have the right quantity or not and the quality is right or not. So I now have a metric. It's KPI. I'm accountable for it. But this now feeds the collaboration, which involves supply chain. It may involve, believe it or not, finance, because if in order you need somebody to commit to something and you have to actually support an order before it's firm that says, hey, I'm going to commit to your raw materials, I have to have the authority, the financial authority to say, okay, buy the raw materials ahead. Because these orders go out days, weeks, months, maybe as close to a year. So by stepwise going into discrete problems where once I had all the orders of the enterprise, There's nothing else. I don't have to actually influence them. I just need to know them. Once I have every collaboration, I now know what's going on in planning and replanning. So now I can reach out and say, okay, what started that process for the plan, the the build plan Mm. that generated those firm orders and then generated those planned orders? That was something that I was able to, to stepwise solve. As soon as I got close to supply chain or factories, though, those collaborations, I have no authority over. Mm. My team doesn't, has nothing to do with me. It's all about the factory meeting their objectives Mm. or the product group. So now I had to engage those organizations. They had their own IT solutions. They had Mm. adopted platforms. There were IT legacy things that couldn't be changed. It would take years to change. Mm. So how do I influence those? So the progress was building a collegial network in my company that said, we're trying to achieve the same things. Mm. I have my accountability and I'm not going to interfere with yours because you're accountable for factory performance or logistics performance or IT standards. Building that network then can outlast Raghav's uh, concern for an executive having a limited runway because now you said, hey, I've got a mission and a vision. I've got my part. I'm just playing one role on this field of battle or this field of opportunity. Hmm. And I've got others who are buying into the same mission and I'm not interfering with their accountability. Hmm. 
without that, you can't make an enterprise change. Mm -hmm. You will never get there. If you haven't brought in product, manufacturing, distribution, inbound and outbound, IT and finance, you can't get the business success. So it was crucial to become not just the physical network, but now your human network. There you go right? The accountability network within the firm. And this is a great illustration of why digital transformations fail in the sense that we tend to approach them as, you know, process or technology changes. What you were just talking about, Pat, is basically, you know, human change management, organizational changes, motivation systems. How do you bring people along? I I think that's really a fabulous illustration of this whole principle of accountability and authority and and how to make that sustainable. So thank you so much for sharing, Pat. And that brings us to the end of our talk today. And I want to share my eternal gratitude to both of you, Pat and Raghav. You've not just brought insights into the conversation, but you brought great context and experience. So thank you for that. And for all joining us on this podcast today, as always, Thanks for listening and make sure to subscribe to our show to keep getting new updates. And uh, of course, until next time, don't just implement planning, redefine it. Thank you for listening to Masters of Digital Transformation. For more information, be sure to check out www.09solutions.com slash aim10x.